All right, would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy? We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Listen to the Word of God. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Let's pray. Father, would you do that this morning as we look at your word? Would you give us insight into all of these things? To understand what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. To understand what you have called us each to as our responsibility as believers in Jesus to pass on our faith. And as we talk about that this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the speakers that I've enjoyed listening to uh, through the years is a man named Gary Smalley. Uh, Gary Smalley's a Christian counselor. Uh, he works in marriage and family issues. And some of you uh, remember several years ago when we were going to the Promise Keeper events that he was often a speaker there as well. And one of the things that Gary Smalley does that always caught my attention was his use of word pictures. He would bring in or use an object that illustrated a point he wanted to make that kind of summarized the message. For example, once when he was talking about the need in marriage to honor one another, honor husbands and wives, he brought in an old violin and he gave it to the person sitting in the front row in the audience and asked them to just take a look at it, you know, and then they could pass it on. And as they were doing that, he said that that violin you are holding is a Stradivarius. And you could hear this, this gasp in the audience like, you know, what, really? You know, that is a Stradivarius? And he said that sound you heard when people gasped is the sound of honor, sound of honor. That you treated it differently when you knew that this was something of great value or worth, the way you even held it or the way that you would pass it on to someone, you were very careful with that. And he said that is the way we should treat one another in our marriage, that that person you are married to is a person of great worth, that they are a child of God and you are to treat them with that honor that they deserve. And then uh, another time he brought in a couple plants that he wanted to use as an illustration. One was a potted plant that was flourishing and growing and another was a potted plant that was really kind of brown and shriveled up and dying. And he talked about, well, what's the difference between the two of these? Well, one's obviously gotten a lot more attention, hasn't it? A lot more care and nurture and love and attention. And how in a relationship, if a marriage is going to grow and survive, it needs that kind of attention and love and nurture and care. And so he would use illustrations like that, which obviously have stuck with me as good points too, to remember And this morning, I want to use a word picture in the same way to illustrate what we are going to be talking about. 
We're going to talk about discipleship this morning. And the picture that I want you to have in mind is actually that of a runner's baton. Because I think it illustrates what Paul was getting at. Now, have any of you ever run a relay race in high school or college? Any of you? Run a relay race, high school or college? Okay. Wayne, would you come up here? I need a volunteer this morning. (laughs) All right. I'm actually going to... If I can get this out, give you a microphone here, and you can you can uh, answer a couple questions for me about about running that. Okay, what event did you run in a relay race? Oh man, um, probably can I say like a half mile, maybe? Yeah. Um, Was it like a four by one hundred, four by four hundred? Do you remember? Sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting the. The you remember thing. the baton? I do remember though. that. You yeah. remember that part? Yeah. yeah. I don't remember how far yeah, it was. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask you. You know, what's the critical part of any relay race? The handoff. The handoff. Yeah, because what happens if you drop the baton? That's bad. That's bad. Yeah. yeah right. You have to just go back and pick it up, and then you're toast. Yeah. Now I didn't run track. I was out farming at that time. But um, what uh, isn't there a certain distance that you have to make the handoff with too? I mean, it, when you when you come to that point. Remember that. There's a certain uh, distance that you need to do the handoff for the I'm exchange. Totally blowing your You're totally blowing the illustration. Here. <laughs> All right. And then what happens if you run out of bounds? Well, you're out. You're disqualified, you're, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. yeah, I'm doing that. But the critical part is the handoff on the on the baton. And so when you have a relay race, you got four people each running the same distance to finish and reach the goal. Each one has to do their part. And if you mess up the handoff, it's done. It's done. All right, that's, that's it. That's all I need you for. Thanks. <laughs> but when you think about that in terms of what, what is true of our faith as well, discipleship is like a relay race. Discipleship is like a relay race, and the critical moment in that is how we pass on the faith from one person to another, from one generation to another. In fact, it's been said that Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. I mean, think about that. I mean, if we don't do a good job of passing on our faith to our children, who's going to do it? Or what's going to happen? And so when we look at this topic this morning, this is something that is very important. And Paul stressed this to Timothy, this young disciple who was giving leadership to the church in Ephesus. And he made the point clear in verse 2 when he said, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust them to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You know, if you think about that verse, there are actually four steps there too, just like a relay race. There was Paul, who was handing the baton off to Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy, I want you to take what you've heard me say, and I want you to hand that off to reliable men or faithful men, who in turn will be able to teach others. And so it would go from generation to generation, from believer to believer, a passing on, not of a baton, but of our faith. It's, it's the gospel, it's the word of God that we are passing on to those that are yet to come, 
to help them understand what it means to know Jesus and follow him. And all of us have a part in that. All of us have a responsibility in passing on the faith to the next generation. We are called to be disciples, that is, followers of Jesus. That's more than just knowing some information on our head. It is to be a way of life that we choose to follow Jesus in obedience to his command. And we are also called to make disciples. We are called to pass on our faith. Bill Hall wrote that today as never before in human history, our world needs disciples and disciplers. People who are willing to follow the Master in order to bring spiritual life and biblical principles to a dying generation. And many Christians look at our national situation, our world situation, and sometimes there can be this feeling of hopelessness, like, well, what can we do to change our world? Or the problems seem so great and overwhelming. Well, it's a little bit like the way uh, the expression is used to say, how do you eat an elephant? You know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Well, how do you tackle the world situations or the problems that we face? It is one person at a time. It's one person at a time. A changed life here, a changed life there, a changed life in this community can make a huge difference and have ripple effects that will continue for generations. What God is looking for is faithful men and women who will take up the challenge, pick up the baton of our faith, and work to pass that on to the next generation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What Paul did in this passage he, is he actually used some word pictures to illustrate what it means to be a disciple. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Number one, a disciple is like a soldier. And we see that in verses 3 and 4. And a good soldier, he tells us, is one who endures hardship. A good soldier is one who makes sacrifices, who in their call of duty will even leave behind family and personal ambitions and their dreams to serve and to fulfill their responsibility. They refuse to get entangled in the affairs of life. They live by priorities. And they follow their commanding officer. In fact, Paul says they seek to please their commanding officer, which for us would be Christ, the one who has enlisted us in his service. And a good soldier also stays at his post. He doesn't, you know, run in the heat of battle. He doesn't desert it or leave others to carry on the work. He is strong in the Lord. And so Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's applying these lessons of a soldier that we can all understand to what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who's willing to make sacrifices to follow Jesus. Who doesn't get involved in the affairs of life so much that he cannot serve his Lord. But he lives by priorities, and God comes first in our life. He seeks to please his commanding officer, that is Jesus Christ, and he stays at his post. He understands the assignment that he has been given by the Lord, and he is faithful to carry that out. Paul understood the claims of Jesus when he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, how does that apply to us? 
Well, Howard Hendricks taught for many years at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was a strong uh, advocate of discipleship in the local church. And he talked about that many times when he would be at conferences or speaking in churches. And the reason he was such a strong advocate of that was because of what God had done in his own life. It all began with a man named Walt. And listen to Howie's story. He said, my life and ministry are the result of mentoring. I'm a product of a core of individuals who built into my life ever since I came to know Jesus Christ over 60 years ago. One in particular, Walt, changed the course of my life. I was born into a broken home in the city of Philadelphia, and my parents were separated before I was born. I never saw them together except once when I was called to testify in a divorce court. I'm sure I could have been reared and died and gone to hell and nobody would have particularly have cared except that a small group of believers got together in my neighborhood to start an evangelical church. And that small group of individuals developed a passion for their community. Walt belonged to that church. He went to the Sunday school superintendent and he said, I would like to teach a Sunday school class. And the superintendent said to him, Walt, that's wonderful, but we don't have any boys. Go out into the community, and anybody you pick up, that's your class. Well, how he said, I'll never forget the day I met him. Walt was six feet, four inches tall, and he said to me as a little kid, Hey, son, how would you like to go to Sunday school? Well, how he said anything that had the word school in it wasn't particularly exciting to him. But then he said, How would you like to play marbles? And I said, sure. And he got down on his knees, and would you believe it? There we played a game of marbles, and he beat me every single game. He said, I lost my marbles early in life. (laughs) But by the time Walt got through, I didn't care where he was going. That's where I wanted to go. And just for your information, Walt picked up 13 of us boys. Nine came from broken homes. And today, 11 are in full-time vocational Christian work. And Walt never went to school beyond sixth grade. That's the power of a mentor. And his point was that you don't need a Ph.D. to be used by God in the ministry of mentoring. Now, I think about that. That's, That's an amazing story, and obviously it doesn't always turn out like that. But there are kids in our community who don't know Jesus. There are kids in our community who are coming out of broken homes and who are hurting. And what they really need more than anything else is somebody who will love them and believe in them and encourage them and point them to Jesus. And who knows what God may do as we step out in faith to do that. You can make a difference too. Now for those of us who are parents, it starts in our own home with our own children to point them to Christ. But for all of us, you know, you have the opportunity to perhaps lead a Sunday school class or maybe you could work with our youth. Maybe you could volunteer next year in that after school time to help and be a part of reaching uh, teenagers for Christ. Maybe you could work with another adult that you know and, and you've gotten to be friends but he doesn't know Christ or she doesn't know Christ and maybe there's an opportunity for you to have some conversations and to talk together. It's really a matter of choices and priorities that we would take the time out of our schedule to make this a priority in our life. And what would happen 
if each one of us who are part of this church had even just one person that we were reaching out to in that way, one person that God brought into our life that we could encourage and disciple and help them to grow in their relationship with Christ. Now think about what Paul said about being a good soldier and then ask yourself these questions. What have I given up for Jesus? What have I sacrificed for him to put him first in my life? And what am I doing to disciple others? What's my role in that? Or am I too busy in sort of the civilian affairs of life to make time for that? And does something need to change in my priorities? And is my commander pleased with me? Is the one who gave his life for me pleased with what I am doing with my time? Those are convicting questions, but they're the kind of questions that come out of a passage like this. All of us have the privilege and the responsibility to help disciple and pass on the faith to the next generation. Well, secondly, a disciple is like an athlete. And he tells us in verse 5 that an athlete is someone who trains hard. You know, he competes as an athlete. Uh, He needs to play according to the rules or else he will be disqualified. And he plays to win. He has a goal in mind of what he is striving for. And so here you have this picture that we can all understand. We all understand what an athlete is and what they have to do. And the higher the competition is, the harder they have to work. If you're going to compete at high school, that's one level. At college, it's a more intense level. If you're actually going to go on to be a professional athlete or train for the Olympics, it takes years of discipline and training and work to reach that kind of goal. And you've got to compete according to the rules or else you'll be disqualified. And we've seen that happen with athletes today who use performance-enhancing drugs to try to get an edge on somebody else. And when it was found out, they were disqualified. They lost their prize. And every athlete has a goal in mind. They play to win. They have a personal best they want to reach. They strive toward that goal. Well, back in Paul's day, I mean, he's using this illustration, and they got it too. The Greeks love sports just like we do. They value this athletic excellence, and they prize that. But they also had strict rules that were enforced about their games too. Every competitor needed to represent their country, and they needed to be a good citizen of the country that they came from. They had to have a good reputation to compete in the games. And in their preparation for their event, they had to follow specific rules, meet certain standards in that. If an athlete failed to meet those standards, they were disqualified from the competition. And if they had competed and they won their event, but later it was found out they had cheated, they would lose their prize and they would be disqualified from that event. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Do you see? I mean, what we're talking about here is terribly important. This is not something temporary, but this is something that's going to last for eternity. And so he says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. 
I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul disciplined himself. He wanted to be a good soldier of Christ. He wanted to be a disciplined athlete following Jesus so that in the future there would be nothing in his life that would disqualify him from that goal that he was running toward. A disciple is like an athlete. And an athlete needs a coach who can help them to reach their potential. An athlete needs someone who can come alongside them to point out their flaws or maybe where their technique is not good and they can improve. He gives them advice. He teaches them. He demonstrates what he's looking for. He models that. He encourages them to take new steps of faith, to push harder, train harder. He corrects them where they are in error. I mean, that's really what discipleship is. That is a very good picture of what we are trying to do, whether it is uh, teaching our children or working with someone else who may be a, a student in our church or helping them to grow in their faith. We are teaching, we are modeling, we are encouraging, we are correcting. That's discipleship. When I was in high school playing basketball, one of the coaches that was really respected at that time was John Wooden. John Wooden coached at UCLA, and his teams won 10 NCAA national championships in basketball in 12 years. 10 championships in 12 years. That is amazing. And John Wooden considered himself to be a teacher most of all. And when Pauley Arena was built for the Bruins there so that their team could train, he wanted to make sure that there was a classroom built into that gymnasium area so that he could teach the athletes that he was working with. It was that important to him. And in the same way, if we're going to pass on the faith, we need to be teachers. We need to be people that can help others to understand what God's Word says. I want to apply this or talk specifically here to those of you that are parents. So as moms and dads, do you read the Bible to your children? And there are age-appropriate versions that you can use or Bible stories, and we kind of did that with our kids where we changed to what version we used as we went through the years with them. Uh, we would use, you know, the picture Bibles to begin with, and we'd talk about the stories that were there in the, in the Scripture and how they applied to life, and we shared things from our own life. Do you do that? Do you teach your children? Do you... Uh, talk about how it applies to your own life or what you are learning from the Scripture? Do you pray with your children so that they can hear you praying and they learn how to pray from your own example? Do you serve together? Are there things that you can do in your neighborhood? Maybe it's helping a neighbor. Maybe it's visiting someone. Maybe it is working together here at church. But are there things you can do that would be a service project where they see you using your gifts to bless someone else? And do they see you share your faith? Do they hear you talk about Jesus in a way where they know that this is important to you and that you want others to know him too? That's a responsibility that we have as parents. To pass on the faith, to live in such a way that they can see that our faith is authentic and that Jesus lives in us 
and where they can catch the vision then. And in the same way, sometimes that role falls to us as grandparents to be that kind of example or model when we have opportunity to teach our grandchildren as well. Well, thirdly, a disciple is like a farmer. And we see that in verse 6. He tells us that the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. A farmer is someone who works hard. They are the first to share in the harvest and they depend upon the Lord to produce the fruit. You know, I look back, it's been a long time since I lived on a farm, but the things that I learned there are still part of my life. I've spent the last couple days just outside enjoying it, working in our garden, uh, you know, digging up the soil. I still like to get the dirt under the fingernails, and, and watching crops grow and putting things in just brings me great pleasure. Well, those things were built into my life at an early age. The whole idea of working hard. And on a farm, there was always something to do. I heard that when uh, Lauren came on our staff here and he was asking Jason about my work ethic, that uh, Jason described me and he said, yeah, Rick's a farmer, and so he's here a lot. You know, and it's kind of, those things get built into how you approach life. You work hard. I understand that there are seasons in ministry, just like there are seasons on the farm, that demand long hours and there's a lot to do. And there are other seasons where uh, life may be a little slower in those winter days. There are days of rest. In our family, we always took the Lord's Day off as that regular Sabbath day. And it was a day to rest and enjoy the day, a day for church and family. Well, ministries like that. Following Jesus is like that. There are seasons that are very demanding and intense for us. And there are seasons of rest and seasons of reflection. But the best time of all on a, on a farm is the time of harvest. The time when you see the fruit of your labor and the crops are brought in. And those memories still trigger in my mind. And I think about uh, those times when we would be bringing in the harvest with great joy. I love that in ministry as well. There is nothing better than to see people come to know Christ or grow in their faith or see people taking new steps of faith or applying the word to their life and seeing those answers to prayer. That's what discipleship is about. And when you and I join in this great work of mentoring or discipling others and passing on the faith, you know, we're involved in, again, teaching and encouraging or training and equipping but it's God who causes the growth. And we must totally depend upon him to do that. And when we see him work through us, what a joy it is. What a joy it is to be part of the harvest that God is bringing in our church and in our community. And when we join in the work, we share in the reward. So here are some questions to think about in terms of the farmer in this example. Are we giving Jesus our best effort? Are we willing to work hard at our faith and to follow him fully? Do we rely upon God to produce the fruit, knowing that, you know, our part is we, we can share the word, we can kind of create an environment for growth and do our part and work hard at that, but it's God who really is the one who opens eyes, who changes hearts, and who brings fruit. And so we must depend upon him in all things. And what will our harvest be? What are the seeds that we are sowing? What are the seeds that we are planting in the lives of others 
that by his grace one day we'll reap that kind of rich harvest. Howie Hendricks wrote that the most compelling question that every Christian must ask is this, what am I doing today that will guarantee my impact for Jesus in the next generation? What am I doing today that's going to guarantee an impact for Jesus in the next generation? And he went on to say, if I understand my New Testament correctly, there are only two things that God is going to take off of our planet. One is his word, and the other is his people. And if you are building his word into his people, you can be confident that that will last forever. So who's your Timothy? Who's the person that you are discipling? Who's the one that you are working with? Do you have some in mind when I ask that question? Is there someone that you are being very intentional about discipling or helping to grow in their faith? Or is that a need in your life where you're going, you know, I really don't right now. And that is a great challenge. Well, what I would encourage you to do is to pray and ask God to show you who it is. Look for them. Look for those relationships that you already have with individuals and ask God to make it clear. And then take that step of faith to initiate a conversation or reach out to someone else where you might be the one who could disciple them. Pick up your baton and get into the race. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those that have gone before us and who have had that role in our life. The men and women who were mentors and role models and examples. And if, the, if we had the privilege to grow, in, grow up in a godly home with godly parents who loved us and discipled us, what a head start we had in life. And what a privilege that is. And Lord, I pray that you would use each of us to be a part of passing on the faith to the next generation. And that in these days in the summer, even though things may slow down and some of the activities we have at church, there are opportunities for relationships. And would you open our eyes to see who it is that you might want us to work with, to mentor, to disciple, to encourage in their faith. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.